Greetings to each of you in Christ's name this morning. I want to welcome all that are here and trust that um, trust that you've been blessed already. I have been encouraged um, through the uh, different things this morning. And uh, one thing that stood out to me, um, Brother Derwin led the, the last song, I think it was the last song, before um, the devotional, Sunday School devotional, People of the Living God. I've sought the world around. And then uh, Brother Carl shared on, on uh, Ruth there and Boaz. And, um, and just the way that fit together with, with the message here this morning, um, Ruth and and Boaz, both of them, and their lives of, of service. And it came through in the Sunday School lesson, too, about being emptied of ourselves. And, and as we're emptied of, of ourselves, that that is when God can work through us. And this morning, I, I would like to turn to Matthew chapter 20 to... Um, draw a message from there as we think of of our call I've entitled the message called to serve and we, we look at an account there that um, looking on from our perspective we might say to these people, what, what were you really thinking here? But maybe it, it tends to speak of humanity, the way we tend to think uh, in life. I believe that as God's children, along with God's call, we, we have a desire to serve, to serve one another, to serve our, our homes, to serve our church, to serve the world around us, and um, you name it. And I also believe that as we serve, that we find blessing in it. And the reason for that is because it's God's way. As we follow God's way, we will find blessing in it. But too often, tendency can be to look out for self. Tendencies to to um, maybe want a name, as we'll see here, and recognition, and to be important. And so I trust this morning as we look into this passage here that we can be inspired to, to look around rather than to look um, within and, and building up ourselves. Begin here at, in Matthew 20, at verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children, with her sons, worshiping him, and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand, and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask, are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of? 
and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. We'll stop reading there. So we have here in this account, we have the, it says the mother of Zebedee's children coming with a request. And these um, Zebedee's children would be James and John. In fact, uh, if we take the account from Mark 10, it gives their names there. And it, it would speak there of James and John coming to Jesus with the request. Here it says the mother of Zebedee's children came with a request. Um, so a little difference there, but not of, of great importance. As we think of James and John, who were James and John? What do we know about them? And a couple things that I, or one thing that I uh, think of when I think of James and John, in Mark 3.17, it tells us that Jesus gave the name Boanerges to James and John, if I'm pronouncing that right. And that name means sons of thunder or possibly commotion, as I looked into the word a little bit more, but sons of thunder. Now, we read that in Mark. I don't know that we read it otherwise. But why would Jesus give such a name to, to anyone? Sons of thunder. Maybe they had explosive tempers. Um, I don't see them as laid back, um, just take life in stride. There was something intense about these men. Another account, this is probably after Jesus gave that name to them, but in Luke chapter 9, verse 54, Jesus was heading up to Jerusalem, and he sent some people ahead into a city of Samaria, a city of the Samaritans, and he, they, they went ahead to kind of prepare for Jesus to come there, and they weren't accepted. They, they didn't want Jesus to come into their town. And James and John said, shall we call down fire from heaven and consume them? Um, kind of think of that in relation to, to thunder, um, lightning coming down. Uh, but we get a slight picture of who James and John were. They, were. they were zealous men. They were men on fire. They were men who were, um, stuff was going to happen around them, I believe. And the request comes from their mother or 
according to Mark, from them. Uh, the request, um, Jesus asked them, what wilt thou? And she asked that they might sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left, when Jesus came into his kingdom. And I, I think, in essence, she was asking that they could sit in places of honor in Christ's kingdom. Maybe she was referring or thinking back to in chapter 19 where Jesus talked about, uh, I can pull it out here, um, Matthew 19, 28, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So maybe she was thinking about that, that they would be sitting on thrones around Christ and that these two of her sons um, could sit one on each side of him. I think we see here a parent's desire, a mother's desire to see the promotion of her children, to see them successful, to see them honored. Likely she was thinking of an earthly kingdom that, um, that Jesus would establish and didn't understand fully what Jesus meant about coming into his kingdom. Likely she thought, these men, my sons, are on fire for Jesus, and, and that would just be right for them to be right next to Jesus in his kingdom, his, could you say, chief men in his work of his kingdom. It would seem to me like she had a desire for them to serve Christ, but with the wrong motives, the wrong reasons for serving him. Jesus asked the question in verse 22. He pointed out to them that they didn't know what they were asking. And he asked, are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized? with. And just to put that in my words, are you able to go through the sufferings that I'm going to go through? Looking forward to his suffering, his death that he would be facing in a short time. And I don't know what went through these two men's minds, but their response was, we are able to do that. We can do that. We can go through the sufferings that you will face. If James and John had been able to see forward, I wonder how they might have answered Jesus. If James could have seen forward that down the road he would be martyred by Herod, and John, if he could see forward to the sufferings he would face, and I've just had to think with Brother Matt preaching from Revelation, John banished to the Isle of Patmos, and um, what all he would face in his life. Would they have said so confidently, we can do that? 
I think as we think of hardships that we could face in the future, things we don't know about, are we jumping up and saying, we can do that? Or do we recognize that by God's grace, we can face what will come? Um, I trust that we do not see that in our own strength. And then Jesus brought out uh, in verse 23, I think it is there, about how that certainly they would face the sufferings. He, he kind of uh, prophesied that, I guess. They would face those sufferings. And yet, for him to give places of honor, uh, that was not his place, but his father would do that. And coming through this, this discourse between Jesus and his disciples, now it's obvious that the other ten were around there and were, were at least catching some of the drift here, knew what was going on. And verse 24, I'm just going to read that again. It says, when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. One word that sticks out to me there, probably to all of us, is the word indignation. They heard the request. And, and they, they, they really didn't appreciate the request, understandably. But I have here that self-exaltation invites indignation. I think probably pretty much always. When someone tries to lift themselves up, when people see that, um, it's, it's kind of hard to swallow that. As we look now at the last verses we read here, 25 through 28, we have Jesus showing the way into his kingdom or the way of his kingdom, the way that his kingdom works. And he talks about the, basically the rulers of the Gentiles, he mentions here, but the rulers of the world, how they exercise dominion, how they exercise authority over their subjects. And in the ruling systems of Christ's time, there really was a lot of that um, power, tyrants, um, rulers that had tremendous authority, and they could, they could just make something happen. And I think even today in our world, there are rulers that have a lot of power, a lot of authority, and often it's used in conjunction with agendas that they have. But Jesus called his disciples and calls all of his people, verse 26 there, it's not going to be that way, not as it is among the rulers of the world, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister, and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Two words that stand out there. One is minister in verse 26. The other one in verse 27 is servant. And the word minister there would have the idea, the thought of an attendant or a waiter or a servant. And then the word servant that we have in verse 26 
would have the connotation of a slave. I'm just going to read these in the Amplified Version. It uses those words. It says, Not so shall it be among you. But whoever wishes to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you must be your slave. Some may call this the way to true greatness. But we notice that Jesus didn't say, here is how to become great. His words were, whosoever will be great, whosoever desires to be great, wants to be great. In the Amplified, trying to compare here, okay, in the King James it says, let him be your, your minister, let him be your servant. The Amplified uses the word must. Whoever will be great or wishes to be great must be your servant. Whoever desires to be first among you must be your slave. And Jesus is putting a, a command on that. And if I could kind of translate this um, into my translation, how I take it, I would take Jesus to be saying, if you desire to be great, just forget your ambitions for greatness. The idea of becoming great, get it out of your head. And become a servant or a slave. Seek to promote others into the kingdom of God at expense of yourself. I don't quite translate it to say, this is the way to become truly great. And I think I understand, as people may use that, um, that this maybe not so much greatness and lift it up. It's not a way to become someone known or someone exalted but rather it's God's way. It's the way of truth to become a servant is. Christ gives his example in verse 28. His life was a life of service. He was the one worthy to be served. And yet he came as, as a servant. He put himself so low as to be the ransom price for man. He uses the word ransom, the redemption price for men. That was how Christ came, to give his life, everything, not to lift up self, not for what he could get out of it, but the glory went to God, and it was for mankind to bring the glory to God. A few more verses from the New Testament. Philippians chapter 2, and, and very familiar verses as we think of, of, um, of servanthood and humility. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, 
who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Powerful verses there of Christ and his example in coming as a servant, when really it says in verse 6, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, came as a servant, was made in the likeness of men. Luke chapter 22, we have another um, account, very similar here, to, to what was happening in today's uh, passage here um, of James and John, Luke 22, verse 24, And there was also a strife among them, which of them should be accounted the greatest. And then Jesus' words came, much like what he said in, in Matthew 20. And he said unto them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. But ye shall not be so. But he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as he that doth serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, is it not, is not he that sitteth at meat? But I am among you, as he that serveth. So we, we see it wasn't just James and John that were aspiring greatness in their lives and in their future, but the, the disciples were kind of looking at this order in general and how they would, they would fit in, maybe into Christ's kingdom, who would be the greatest. And, and Jesus brought it all down to them, pointing them back to the fact that he came to them as the one who was worthy of being served. And yet, he came as the one serving. And to think, too, as Jesus in John 13, we have the account there of Christ washing his disciples' feet. And... He went around and did that, the lowly office of a servant. And then he commanded his disciples. He said, this is what I want you to do to each other. I want you to stoop down and to serve one another. He did not come serving to receive, but rather his self was out of it. He came fully to give. Matthew 25, 40, we have in Matthew 25 there the account of um, the sheep and the goats. And in verse 40 it says, And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Brothers and sisters, as we serve one another, as we serve those 
whom God has called us to serve. It's as, and as we do that selflessly, it's as we are doing it unto God himself. As I think of God's call to us to serve, and how that, just a story I have here, of how serving others, um, I guess the story shows the blessing of serving others and how in doing that, um, how it shows the blessing, it shows, I guess confirms, might you say, that serving is God's way. Um, Brother Weston had made me aware here some time ago of a book Man's Method versus God's Cure, and maybe some of you are familiar with that, that um, book, but in the introduction, there's a story of basically the, the health, the blessing of serving. It says, during World War II, Dr. Overmeyer, a young German psychiatrist educated in the theories and methods of Sigmund Freud was thrown into the Dachau concentration camp with hundreds of other prisoners. Many were unable to stand the, tor the torture, the torment, torture, and horrors, and became insane. Using his education as a psychiatrist, he tried to help those who were still sane, but was unable to help any. Through the prisoners underground, he heard of another barracks in which the prisoners had been able to mysteriously adapt to the terrors and suffering, and even find a measure of happiness. Eventually, he found out that a famous psychiatrist, Dr. Viktor Frankl, was an inmate in those barracks. He was telling each prisoner that if he wished to retain his sanity, he must forget himself entirely, deny himself, as Jesus said, and devote all his mental, physical, and spiritual energies to helping others. When Dr. Overmeyer taught this in his camp, insanity among them dropped almost to zero. Dr. Frankel survived three concentration camps, including the horrors of Auschwitz, helping thousands keep their sanity. Eventually, he was released and came back to found a psychological school of thought based on Christian concepts from the scriptures. I was challenged as I um, read that story. You know, we all face things in life. We all face difficult things. Nothing like this, I don't think any of us have, of the concentration camps. But how often do we spiral on looking into our own selves? When we find that there is blessing and there's healing, when we look around us, we look at those we can serve and those we can bless rather than just what I can do to, to help myself, to get myself through this. And I believe that it is because it is God's way 
is why it works, why it's a blessing and a benefit to our lives to, to bless and encourage and serve those around us. This morning I would ask, where are we today as servants of mankind? And I say that in our service to God. Where are we as we serve others? As I ponder that thought, I, I first of all would like to, to just bring out that I, I believe that we, um, I'm not just going to point out us sitting here this morning in our culture, and I always believe that culture affects, the culture around us affects us. So we tend to think of ourselves as a deserving people. Uh, we may not really tend to say, I deserve this and I deserve that. But I think as, as we live life, we, we do tend to show that in some ways. We think we deserve to have some things like air conditioning in the summer. Maybe not so important today. Tend to think we deserve three meals a day. Or maybe that we deserve to have as many vehicles as we have drivers in the family, or maybe more. We deserve a vacation. We deserve a dishwasher. Look to this side for that. <laughs> but just many different things. Um, the, the comforts of life, uh, we've become so accustomed to them that we have that it's owed to me almost, or that we need this. And, and I mention that because our standard of living is high enough that we're going to have to work for our standard of living. Could we lower our standard of living, maybe by working a few less hours? Um, I'm just going to throw out there, maybe work two hours a day less so we have more time to serve others. Or, and I, I'm saying this carefully, working four days a week instead of five and commit the fifth day to serving. I say that carefully because in our country, there is a push for backing off to a four-day work week. But it's not for the motives of serving others. Part of the motive, I don't know what all the motives are, but part of the motives are for more time to play. All right, that doesn't sound like the call of Jesus to, to just have more time to enjoy life and play and please myself. Maybe I would ask, if our country goes to a four-day work week, what are you going to do? Look at the men for this one. You going to soak it up, live it up, play? I guess as I, I mentioned, backing off on our work week, and I'm not, I'm not saying we, this is what we should be doing, but it, it would lower our standard of living. 
to do that, to, to say, you know what, I'm going to work less because I want to serve in God's kingdom. And I, I want to use that time for, for blessing others. And I recognize it may not actually always be possible to, to back off for various reasons. But if we're simply working the hours we are to add to our comforts of life, there we've got it again. We've got self. I would also mention that our work should be a form of service. I think it's very possible and, and important that it is. But I would also say that we generally do receive something in return um, for the hours that we put in on our job. And there is blessing in serving and getting no monetary blessings out of it. As we think of serving, we should be serving those around us, first of all. Um, and that's family. That's family. The ones closest to us is the place to start serving. It takes time to serve. We don't just have it in our minds and it happens. We've got to put forth effort and give of our time to each other. As we think further beyond our families, do we have time to help a neighbor or a church family with a project, um, whatever it may be, uh, possibly mowing the neighbor's lawn or helping to weed the flower beds? Another one I have is picking up trash beside the road. Uh, that, that can be a way of serving the community, just making, making <laughs> the roadsides look nice and presentable if there's a trashy area. Also, just stopping and talking, chatting with a person, whatever the needs may be. Um, maybe there aren't even great needs that we know of. But just stopping and chatting with a person is a way of serving them. Serving involves seeing a need and stepping up to the plate and doing something about it. I had to think, too, of how sometimes, as parents, we tend to be a little bit like the mother of Zebedee's sons. You know, we want the best for our children. That's what she wanted. She wanted the best for her children. But how do we look for the best for our children? Where do we look for that? What, what do we see? And there can be a tendency to want the social acceptance. And as they grow up, for them to get a good job. And I'm not nearly there yet. Well, getting closer, I guess, but yeah, it's going to be a while, put it that way. But as they go on to have families of their own, to see, to have financial security for their family, there can be that desire in parents. It is there. 
But if we have missed teaching our children to serve in favor of earthly pursuits, we've missed it. If the most important thing is being taken care of in life by themselves or in whatever way, and they don't know how to serve, we have missed something tremendous. Can we teach our children, first of all, the blessing of serving in the family? Mothers have laundry to do. They have meals to cook. Around the house, there's lawn to mow. There's weeds to pull. There's floors to sweep and trash to burn. In the winter, there's snow to shovel, and the list goes on. And I'm going to say mothers should not have to do all the work. And especially as children, even at a young age, very young age, there's ways that they can help out, that they can serve. Um, it's, it's amazing how young a child can learn to wash dishes and, and just pick up, straighten up, things like that. And I, I realize there's a balance between work and play. But too much lack of responsibility, all right, and that can be idle time, will not prepare our children to serve. And I'm just going to add to that, that when children are occupying their time with electronics, with playing with electronic devices and getting into that world of their own, that it's going to produce a weak and self-focused generation. And I would just say, parents, I encourage you to get your children off electronics if they're using electronics, uh, playing on them. Also, I would mention if children feel that they need a reward or feel they need paid or bribed or whatever for everything they do, it will not encourage a motivation to serve when they grow up. They can serve as a part of the family and find the blessing of serving. And as we talked about serving others, serving alongside our children is a blessing that will go with them as they see us serving and becoming and being a part of that service. Again, I ask, where are we in the area of service? And I, I believe that as a congregation here, I have seen a desire to serve to step out of myself and see others around and do what I can for others. And that blesses me to see that. And so I just want to encourage you to continue on, to look out for those needs around you, whether it's in your family at home. Don't, please don't forget about your family and serving. Uh, we often tend to see those around us, those outside, and we kind of tend to see that as maybe bigger and better than the everyday serving 
of our families. But don't forget about that. Um, our, our sisters, that might have been mentioned here this morning already, I forget. But our sisters serve and serve and serve their families. And, um, you know, as men, we can do some of those jobs that may look more like the ladies' jobs and be a blessing in serving our families in that way. One thing that um, maybe I'll just mention from, I've been working on the character quality at school of of thankfulness, gratefulness, I think is what I'm calling it there, but thankfulness. And I talked earlier about the, how we tend to feel uh, like we deserve this and we deserve that. But really, what do we deserve? How many of us deserve the meal set on the table? Um, you know, what we go home for lunch. Do we deserve that meal? What have we done to deserve it? Um, do we deserve, I'll look over here again, um, do we deserve to have the clean laundry in, our, um, in its place, in our closets? And no, I think we would all agree we, we don't deserve that, but we are being served. And can we be people of gratitude as well as we experience that? And also, in turn, serving those around us. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15, says, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. Talking to the Corinthian church there, I will spend and be spent for you. That sounds like service. Then the last part of the verse, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Now you say that's real service. That is sacrificial service, where we serve whoever it is around us, because of our love for them, even though we don't know what the outcome of that service will be, but we're willing to do it for their sakes. Our serving others must be an outflowing of the love of Jesus. So again, I want to challenge, I I would say encourage you to continue in that desire to serve everyone around us and, and to um, see the needs, whatever they may be. Allow the Lord to speak to us of needs and step up to the plate and be a blessing in that. Let's kneel for prayer.